Our text this morning for the sermon is found in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's see what the Apostle Paul says to us there. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Our thought for today is that the end is really the beginning. We have come to the end of 2012, and we're just about to enter a new year, a new beginning, if you will. It is a time for many of us when we say, I hope I have a new year as good as or better than this year. I've rarely ever had anybody say to me, I hope next year is worse than this year. Usually it's, I hope it's at least as good or hopefully better. And so we hope for newness and or improvement in relationships, health, finances, opportunities, faith. As I was recently doing a funeral service, I read the text that is our sermon text for the day as part of that funeral service. And my mind traveled to the fact that this year alone, I think between Doug and myself, we have probably conducted 40 or more funerals. Probably 14 to 15 of them have been those who've passed who were directly or indirectly connected with Hebron. Then we're obviously asked to minister to others in the community at large. A number of you have experienced the passing of loved ones, though Hebron or those connected with Hebron did not conduct the services. And I'm here to say to you this morning, hopefully words of encouragement, that what we see as the end is really the beginning. It's interesting that Though we are detouring this Sunday and next from our sermon series on spiritual warfare and the theme, Jesus Wins, 
Really, our thoughts today tie in with that. You see, spiritual warfare brought sin. Sin brought death. But Jesus conquers sin and death, so Jesus wins. And if we're in Jesus, we win through Jesus Christ. So there is a connection to the thoughts that have been shared over the last several weeks. As we think about the idea of resurrection, the Lord's return, the hope for the future, the end really being the beginning, I thought about our text and I thought, you know, it teaches us, first of all, that there is more than just this life. A lot of people think this is all there is. The Bible says there's more. Secondly, in this text, we learn that Christian doctrine holds to the resurrection rather than reincarnation. In other words, if you go back and study the most ancient of the creeds, the apostolic creed, the, 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 the Nicene creed, they speak of a belief in the resurrection from the dead. And so for us, it's not a reincarnation coming back as this, that, or the other, but a continuation in the future of who we actually are with a renewed body, a changed body, a resurrected body. William Barclay put it this way in his commentary. He said, in the future life, you will still be you, and I will still be I, though there will be a, a change, as it were. And we know that's the body that has changed because the soul and spirit are already with the Lord. You see, the theology about death for the Christian, in some ways, is very clear from the Scripture. James 1.26 says the spirit or the body without the spirit is dead. So death takes place in this world and in this life when the spirit and the body separate. You see, I've seen a dead body at the hospital or at the morgue. The spirit is no longer there. The inner person is gone. Well, for the believer, where have they gone? Well, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8, to be absent from the body, that soul, spirit, inner person, is to be at home with the Lord. But then in 1 Corinthians and in 1 Thessalonians, which Doug read, the Bible tells us when Jesus returns at what we call the rapture or the catching away of the believers, he brings back with him those who've fallen asleep in Jesus. In other words, the soul and spirit that's already gone to be with him come back with him, and then our body is resurrected, renewed, and reunited with soul and spirit in the presence of the Lord forever. This text also teaches us that what we have here, at its very best, cannot compare with the blessings of the future for believers. Doug has often taught us, when we die, we leave the land of the dying to go to the land of the living. Joel McRae, in an old black and white picture, where he's featured as a parson, shows us that. Let's look at this clip for just a moment.
it's all over. No, doctor. It's just beginning. See, the doctor says, as he folds the hands of the deceased who's died there in the bed, it's all over. And McCray, portraying the parson and based on the scripture, said, no, doctor, it's just the beginning. So with that in mind, let's look at our text with four thoughts. First of all, notice the confidence. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Now, when you see the term mystery in the New Testament, A, it tends to be something that to that point has not been revealed to the people of God. So it is new news. Or B, it can be something amazing to us that we believe, though we may not fully comprehend. And Paul said, the mystery I want to tell you about is this, that we're not all going to sleep. Now, some people believe that's referring to soul sleep. No, we've already established in the Scripture that the soul and spirit, the inner person, go to be with the Lord at the moment of death. But the Bible uses a beautiful phraseology that we fall asleep in Jesus. It's like falling asleep here on earth and waking up in heaven with the Lord. And the Bible says there, we're not all going to sleep, but we are all going to be changed. And that's an encouragement, that little word, all. It gives us confidence. Because we have met folks who have believed in Christ as their Savior, and yet we struggle. As we look back at their life, or we look back perhaps at the, at perhaps at the event of the events around their death, and we say, oh man, I, I hope they're still worthy enough when Christ returns to be caught up and to be changed and to be resurrected. Or sometimes you and I, as believers who are currently alive and active in this life, we look in the mirror and we look in our own heart and we look at our own deeds and we think, oh my, I hope I'm worthy enough when Christ comes back and there's the day of resurrection to be received to him. Again, our pastor has instructed us for weeks, in fact, for several sermon series now. It's not how worthy you are, and it's not how worthy I am. It's how worthy Jesus is. It's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness. That's why the Bible says we won't all sleep, but we will all be changed. What an inclusive confidence, and what an encouraging confidence. The parallel scripture Doug read was that when this moment comes, the resurrection of the dead bodies of believers and the catching up of saints who are living at that time to meet the Lord in the air, that catching up, that rapture as we translate it, that is the time, the Bible says, when we will not only be caught up, but we'll be caught up together with the loved ones that have gone ahead of us. I can only imagine the comfort that came to those early Corinthian Christians because they did not yet know some of the theology and biblical truth that you and I know. So they're thinking, what happens to the believers that have already passed? Do they miss the resurrection? Do they miss the coming of Christ? Will we see them again? 
And Paul says they won't miss it, and yes, you'll be there, and you'll see them again. What an encouragement to believers that our loved ones in Christ who've passed on, we will be reunited with them in the clouds, the Bible says. And so it's an encouraging confidence. We all, it's a great word. I appreciate Doug sharing with me a thought from uh, a Donald Gray Barnhouse. It's so apropos for this. Barnhouse points out the book of Job. And at the beginning of the book of Job, when the Bible outlines Job's prosperity and blessings before Satan blights him in accordance with God's will and God's testing, Job has thousands of camels and thousands of, uh, uh, of sheep and lots of uh, uh, donkeys and lots of cattle. But then... The Bible tells us that Satan brings torment upon him. That torment includes the loss of the ten children, seven sons and three daughters that he has. But after all the turmoil, all the trial, all the testing, when Job really comes out in the end to the glory of God, God restores to him in Job 42 twice as much. There are twice as many sheep listed, twice as many camels listed, twice as many animals listed that have come to him. And yet there are only seven more sons and three more daughters. And some would say, well, why didn't God give him twice as many kids? He gave him twice as many animals back. And Bar uh, Barnhouse makes a great point. He said it shows to us that in comparison, the animals are not dealing with eternal existence like human beings are. God, in essence, did give Job twice as many children because he had seven sons and three daughters to begin with. They had gone to the Lord. Now he has seven more sons and three more daughters that are with him now upon earth. So he has a total of 20 children. So the children are doubled. And Barnhouse's point was this. If you're a Christian parent and you have two children and one is living and one is past, don't ever say, I have one child. Rather, you can testify, I have two children. One lives at home and one lives in heaven. Or you can testify, one lives in Squirrel Hill, one lives in Alabama, and one lives in heaven if you've got three. And one is passed on. I'm able to say I have a brother in Alabama. I have a sister in Atlanta. I have a sister in Utah. And I have a sister in heaven. And you see, it shows the eternal existence and that the end is just the beginning. And there's not ultimately a loss. There is a gain. And so it's an encouraging confidence. We all will be changed. We all will be together. And then the greatest encouragement of all is in 1 Thessalonians. It says, we will be with the Lord forever. How good to be with my sister again. How good to be with my grandparents again. How good to be with my biological mother and my adoptive mother again. But how much better will it be for me to be in the presence of Jesus Christ forever and ever. This is what rapture and return of Christ and resurrection is all about. This confidence. And then secondly... I see the change that takes place at the resurrection. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. First of all, I see here a positive change. The perishable puts on the imperishable. 
and the mortal puts on immortality. If you travel back earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul likens it to a seed. Here's a tiny seed. You plant it in the ground, it dies. But then from that resurrection of that seed comes a beautiful plant like a tree. You see, there's a small seed and then a little sapling and then the tree that it grows up into. The Bible says we now have an earthly body, but it will be changed into a glorious spiritual body, just like that tiny seed becomes that gorgeous tree. Or it can be like a building that has fallen in disrepair and has deteriorated, but it's been renewed and it's been remodeled. And so we see the same idea here. That's our body of earth. That's our body of heaven, the spiritual body. It is renewed. It is remodeled. It is restored. And here's the amazing part. The Bible says in Philippians in chapter 3 and verses 20 and 21, but our citizenship is in heaven from where we look eagerly for a Savior, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power of His to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly, if you will, our earthly bodies like unto His glorious body. The resurrection body of the believer will move from the deteriorating flesh of earth into a remade spiritual body that is glorious in nature compared even to the resurrection body of Christ. John said in 1 John 3 and verse 2, when we see him, we will be like him. It is not only a positive change, it is a permanent change. You see, the Bible says the perishable will put on the imperishable doesn't perish, doesn't decay, doesn't deteriorate, doesn't die. And the mortal will put on the immortal, living forever in that blessed and healthy and holy state. I love Revelation 21, where the Bible says in the life to come for the believer, there is no more death, and there is no more crying, and there are and there is no more pain. In other words, there won't be any hospitals in heaven. There won't be any mortuaries in heaven. There won't be any nursing homes in heaven. There won't be any therapy sessions in heaven. There won't be any great graveyards in heaven. Why? That has all been done away with. The Bible says the old order of things has passed away, and you and I who believe will dwell in bodies that are imperishable and immortal, living holy and healthy, and in the will of Christ forever and ever. Amen. Not only is there confidence in change, but I see thirdly the conqueror. Death has been swallowed up in victory, but thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus is the one who gives us the spirit of victory to face death. And believe me, brothers and sisters, for all of our theology and for all of our belief and for all of the indwelling of the Holy Ghost and the confidence of salvation, death is still something that at times can be fearful to us and uncomfortable to us. But I love an old story I read years ago by Richard DeHaan, whose father, M.R. DeHaan, founded the, the, the radio Bible class and our daily bread ministry, which many of us use for our devotions. And he said when he was a little boy, his father showed him a bee that had lost its stinger. 
And he said the bee still buzzed. And when you hear the buzzing of the bee, you immediately start looking around. It's not the most positive sign unless you're a big honey lover. Maybe it is. But generally speaking, when I hear a bee, man, I'm looking to swat. I don't want to get stung. So the buzz of death is still there. But the stinger, that which would ultimately hurt and destroy, has been removed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of him as the conqueror of death. First of all, in his miracles, Luke chapter 7, the Bible says he goes by the little village of Nain, and there's a man who's laying on a funeral structure. They call it a bier in the Bible, and he's being carried out to the cemetery. He's dead, the only son of his mother. And the Lord Jesus Christ stops that funeral procession, places his hand on that funeral structure, and the man is raised from the dead and goes home with his mother. Luke chapter 8, the Lord Jesus is called to the home of a leader, and there in the home, on the bed, in her bedroom, is a little girl about 12 years old who's dead. And the Lord Jesus reaches out and takes her hand, and he says, Maid, arise. And the Bible says she gets up, and Jesus says, Feed her. You come to John 11. Mary and Martha are weeping, heartbroken. Oh, Jesus, if you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Show me where he's buried. Lord, he stinks. He's been buried four days. Jesus said, open that tomb. They open it up, and he calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And in the grave clothes, the dead man rises again, and Lazarus comes forth. In his miracles, Christ shows victory over death. In his message, think of how many times in John, he is the I am. John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. He says in John 8, he said, I am the light, yes, John 8, I am the light of the world. He comes to John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 9, he says, I am the gate. You come to John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You come to John 15, I am the true vine. But John 11 and verse 35, the Lord Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. His miracles, his message, and then his might. John in chapter 10, the Bible says in verse 18, no one takes it from me. In other words, Christ is speaking of his own life. All oh, the Romans thought they crucified him. The Jewish leaders thought they condemned him. But Jesus ultimately said, no one takes my life from me. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it again. In Revelation chapter 1, we see the resurrected Christ in all of his majesty, in all of his glory, and he says, I am the living one, verse 18. He said, I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I have the keys of death. Think about the keys. You want to get in the building? Who's got the key? They're in charge. They're in control. You want to move a car? Who's got the key? They're in charge. They're in control. Jesus said, I have the keys of death and Hades. He's in charge. He's in control. He is the conqueror. And in him we are conquerors over death. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. And the spirit of him who raised up Christ from the dead shall also raise your mortal or give life to your mortal bodies. There is a resurrection like unto Christ of all those who are believers. What a conqueror. Finally, notice the challenge. 
Paul stirs these dear Corinthian saints and he stirs the believers right here at Hebron today with his words that give us a hope for the future, a hope that says death is not the end. For the believer, it is only the beginning. And oh, what a glorious and eternal beginning and continuation it will be. We will see our loved ones in Christ again. We will be with Jesus forever. We will be in a perfect setting, in perfect bodies, with a perfect spirit, never to sin, never to sorrow, never to suffer again. So what's the challenge Paul concludes with? He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Notice he said, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, you know who this resurrection is for? You know who this rapture of the believer is for? You know who this return of Christ is for? It is for the brothers and sisters. It is for the family of God. It is for those who've trusted Christ as their Savior. John chapter 1 and verse 12. Therefore, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. My friend, this message is for those who have put their faith and trust in the crucified and resurrected Christ, that he came and he died to forgive our sins and suffer in our place and exchange his righteousness to us. He was buried and he rose again, conquering death and hell and the grave, and he offers to those who put their faith in him and him alone as Savior to give us this resurrection and this hope and this blessing for the future. Are you in the family of God? Have you come to a point in your life where you have put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Not your good deeds, not your church membership, nothing but Christ alone for salvation. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters and friend, if you haven't done so, I can't think of a better way to start the new year than to put your faith in Christ as your Savior. Then he says, secondly, be firm. Be faithful. Lisa, Reg, I want you to look at Lisa and Reg. Lisa, why don't you stand up? Reg, if you're able, stand up. Do you see what they're wearing? Tim, you're not wearing it, brother. You're going to have to sit down. Okay, thanks, Reg. Okay. What are they wearing? Steeler stuff. The Steelers are in a meaningless game today. The Steelers are out of the playoffs. The Steelers, baby, it's over. Of course, the Broncos are still in. Amen for that. But, uh, but, but, but you see, my point is, these guys are faithful. Even when their team stinks, they are faithful. Faithful fans. God bless you. Sit down. Thank you. That's what Paul's saying. When times are tough, when things are difficult, when opposition and temptation and disappointment and heartache come your way, still stay faithful to the things of the Lord. It is worth it. The end is just the beginning. And then he says fully, I like the way the King James says it, always abounding in the work of the Lord. As you and I approach this new year, we ought to more fully embrace the things of the Lord. Let me suggest just a few things. Our scripture knowledge and our scripture impact. Lord, I want to in 2013 gain new insight and have new impact from your word as in Bible reading and in Bible study and in Bible memorization. 
Secondly, Lord, I want to grow in my prayer life in 2013. I just spent Christmas with my father. That man prays hours a day, and he said in 2013, son, he said, I want to pray more. Sharing our faith in Christ with others. Oh, Lord, in 2013, let us be more bold and more direct and more faithful and more diligent to share the salvation of Christ with those who do not know him and who need him so desperately. And then I think of what Hebrews says, let us lay aside the sins and the weights that so easily hinder us. Now, we know about sin. The Bible speaks of weights, things that the Bible does not directly condemn, but in your life or in my life, they may be a hindrance. Maybe it's how we're spending our free time. Maybe it's some of our unhealthy habits. Maybe it's a matter of how we manage or don't manage our money. Maybe it's our mouth. We talk too much. It could be any number of things. It could be a matter of just not managing the life God has given to us here as we ought to in saying in 2013, dear Jesus, help me to improve in that. And then what about our attitude? In 2013, you know what I want my attitude to be? I want my attitude, and I've asked the Lord for this, I want my attitude to be less about griping about the problem and criticizing the problem and being blaming toward those who I think may have created the problem and be much more about how can we solve the problem? Solutions. And then, oh, just being flourishing in the family, faithful and flourishing in the new year till Jesus comes or calls. And Paul concludes by saying, listen, To be committed to Christ may bring you into contrast and even conflict with worldly wisdom, worldly fashion, or worldly pleasure. But it's worth it because the end here is the beginning there. It will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small. When we see Him, one glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase, so bravely run the race. Till we see Christ. Brothers and sisters, we've seen a lot of passing this year. As we enter the new year, let us understand biblically and in hope that for the believer, the end is the beginning. Amen.